0: Hi, everyone. This is Olivia Kernikan, executive producer and editor for the Screen Strong Families podcast. We've had yet another incredible year on the podcast with some amazing guests and thought-provoking insights. And as we embark on our new 2023 season, we want to share just a few clips of the many highlights from our episodes this past year. Enjoy.
1: And when a child is on a video game, they feel so empowered and they feel very disrespectful toward not just their parents, but just the outside world, because everything's so lame, you know, because the yeah, game is so exciting.
2: That's true. When you're coming off of a stimulation such as that, where you're getting heavy amounts of dopamine and adrenaline, and then you put it down and you're walking around your house and there's people around or you can go have <laughs> dinner. I mean, it's, it's like going from a roller coaster to having a tea party. I mean, yeah, it might be pleasant, but it's going to be boring by comparison, right? And on top of that, then you throw in the component, of whose voice do you hear telling you to get off that stimulation, right? Right. So it's kind of like going back to classical conditioning. If you, everybody's heard the uh, tale about Pavlov's dogs, right? You hear the little bell and then they start to salivate. Well, you hear mom's voice and you start to get angry, right? So that can kind of bleed over into other aspects of your life. And you really don't want that as a parent or a child.
1: You know what? Every show I learn something new and, and this is just maybe the new thing I learned today. So quickly here, you're right. You're conditioning your kids to then every time they hear your voice, they're annoyed with you. Even if you're just saying something nice, like let's go get a new pair of shoes or something. Like they're like, what? I have to do that. You know, I never thought about it that way. That conditioning, that's fascinating. And I think the reason why it's, I I think the reason why it happens is because the game is so powerful.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, you're you're sitting there, you're getting is it's so much stimulation and it's so adrenaline-based and especially first-person shooters. I'm not going to sit here and kind of differentiate between the games too much. But, you know, if you're playing a very adrenaline-based game or really any video game, here comes your parent and they're telling you, okay, well, you know, let's go outside and, you know, or let's go on an errand or let's just come down for dinner. I cooked you dinner. I took the time to cook you dinner. And now you're yelling at your parent, uh, essentially. So then what happens is when you're not on screens, even when you're not on screens, and you hear your parents say something, you're going to respond aggressively and assertively to that because you're going to perceive it subconsciously as a threat. And therefore, it's going to be a very toxic kind of interaction. It's going to lead to a lot of animosity. And teenagers don't need any help in that department as it is, but that just sends it over the edge.
1: And then they end up in your office.
2: Then they end up in my office, which I don't mind. I like meeting new people, but uh, that part of it is avoidable.
1: Just review very quickly what happens in the brain and just a little bit about the brain science around addiction in general and this specifically.
3: All right. So we know that. Um, so how dopamine activating an experience or substances tends to correlate with how uh, strong the addictive potential is of that behavior or that substance. And so um, the more dopaminergic is the phrase that we use, the more dopamine activating something is, the, the higher the likelihood that it is for someone to get potentially hooked on that potential behavior. And so Dr. Cope did a study way back in 1998, which was in peer-reviewed. It was in Nature magazine. And he looked at a whole host of behaviors and substances, and he saw how much they spiked your dopamine. Because dopamine, as many of us know, is the it's the neurotransmitter that's most closely associated with addiction or addictive disorders. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Cope found that food, food can raise dopamine 50%, and a, a sexual experience can raise dopamine 100%. And uh, stimulant drugs like cocaine raised dopamine uh, 300, 350%. But what was interesting Mm -hmm. is back in 1998, and let's think about 1998 video games, you know, not quite Pong, but not quite Grand Theft Auto either. uh, 1998 video games raised dopamine 100%, the exact same amount as a sexual experience. So what I pointed out in Glow Kids is we're essentially allowing kids to have digital orgasms, or at least the arousal level, the dopamine arousal level of something as stimulating as a sexual experience. But the problem is children don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, which allows them to moderate their behavior. So the prefrontal cortex is our executive functioning. That's the part of our brain that allows us to do consequential thinking. Another way to look at the prefrontal cortex is it's the brain's breaking mechanism, right? We might get an impulse or an urge to, you know, um, quit our job and knock our desk over and take this job and shove it or do something highly impulsive. But <laughs> yeah. our prefrontal cortex is the part that says, wait a minute, wait, wait, slow down now. That that may not be a wise decision. It's the part that consequentially thinks. That doesn't fully develop till we're in our early to mid-20s. So that's why kids and teenagers do impulsive things. The part of their brain that's wired for the impulse breaks haven't fully developed. So now you're giving kids something that's really arousing like a sexual experience, like a game, and they don't have a fully developed breaking mechanism. The runaway addictive response is much more primed now for these kids because they don't have the ability to moderate as an adult would. And the other part that's pretty insidious is what happens is, and the brain imaging study on this are very clear. There's about 12 really good fMRI brain imaging studies on this. Um, Now you're beginning to compromise the prefrontal cortex so now there's a thing called the dense gray matter the DGM mm-hmm. and that's yeah that's the robustness of the prefrontal cortex there've been studies that show that the DGM actually shrinks with chronic screen time in the same way that it shrinks with chronic substance addiction we know that with a chronic substance addict that part of the brain that controls their impulsivity begins to atrophy and we've mm-hmm. seen the MRI images show that that's also what happens with excessive screen time so now it's a, it's a catch 22. You're engaging in behavior that compromises your brain from not allowing you to engage in that behavior. The, the more mm-hmm. addictive you get, the more addicted you stay. So there's a, and people were shocked to hear that something that you weren't ingesting can change your neurophysiology. Uh, that was like a big shock for a lot of people, but the brain imaging on that is clear, but we know that other types of things that aren't ingested could change your brain neurophysiology, like trauma, trauma mm-hmm. changes neurophysiology. Well, so does screen time. So essentially kids that were raised on a high screen diet are primed for impulsivity. Um, they're, they're Mm -hmm. impulse, they're impulsively wired now and and potentially that's lifelong because it's a developmental window. And if you're, if you're compromising their ability to, to not delay gratification, even though there's neuroplasticity, um, it is a little bit like the language developmental window. If you don't really, um, Mm -hmm. nurture, Delayed gratification in children when they're younger, that tends to be a lifelong now uh, characteristic of who they are.
1: Let's talk about the advantages of not having all these screens 24 7 in your pocket. I believe that kids who, like I said, are Velcro to their devices have less advantages across the board on everything that we can measure kids who have this stuff are going to be less advantaged than kids who don't have it. And so Officer Gomez, when you think of things like academics, social skills, physical health, mental health, sexual health, attachment to family, I'm just thinking really quickly here, confidence, interest in hobbies, sports, time on your dirt bike, (laughs) communication skills, uh, better self-esteem, less rejection. I'm just rolling them off. I mean, is there... Am I wrong? I mean, what advantages does a screen kid really have that someone who's delaying all this doesn't have?
4: They don't have very many advantages. You know, the, the one thing is, you know, parents, I want to be connected to my kid 24-7. It's like, that's not that healthy. Kids need to be able to make mistakes. They need to be able to think on their own and they don't have hardly any advantages. I always tell parents, hey, you know, one of the best things you can do is go spend time on a day with a boat. Right? Or just go take pictures, go to an art exhibit, go to go to something, go spend time with your kids so that they know what your family values are, they know what you're gonna do in problem situations, and they know how you're gonna handle things. Screen time does none of that. All screen time does is it entertains your kid, it keeps them from doing other things. And I always tell parents, hey, look, addiction is giving up everything for one thing, right? Whether it's vaping, whether it's marijuana, whether it's meth, whether it's pornography, whether it's whatever. Addiction is giving everything for one thing. And some kids do it with video games. They give up everything for video games. They give up everything for pornography. They give up everything for vaping, right? That is an addiction. Who thinks that they should get their kids addicted to cell phones? I, not me. And I don't know why the school is going this way or why they would even allow that. But it is happening. When's the last time you spent a family day? That's worth more than everything else. And you'll get to know your kids some. Some parents don't even know their kids. I'll call parents. Hey, do you know your kid is doing this or they're interested in that? Well, no. And some parents are too busy or they're in survival mode or they just don't have time to spend time with their kids. I don't know what the, there's, there's so many different issues, but you had your kids spend some time with them. They are awesome. Right. If you give them the chance, take away their cell phone.
5: It is, it's really hard because I think so many parents probably are somewhat addicted themselves. And I think some parents are afraid. I mean, there's a lot of kids who are self-harming and there are a lot of kids who are suicidal. And so parents are really afraid to, to stand against their children because they're afraid that they're going to lose their children or that their children are going to, to self-harm. But what I wish parents knew is that when they took these things away, if they replaced it with time with themselves, time with them, quality time with them. Children don't get worse. Like that is a recipe for success, not for worse, you know? And I just wish that parents could see that and believe that. And I think that's one of the things that your course really does is I think it does a great job of educating parents about the impact that this is truly having on their child's brain. Like this is not something your child is even choosing to do. At some point it becomes an addiction, you know? And that's such an important thing that parents see. And knowing that addicts don't, typically recover on their own. They need help. And that's what these parents have to view their role as, is as a helper of their children.
1: So a lot of parents say to me when I'm out in my uh, workshops, they say their biggest fear is that if they don't give their kids smartphones when they're in middle school and high school, that they're going to binge and go crazy with them in college. So it doesn't sound like you're binging on it, but I mean, how would you answer that parent who says that? I mean, you can see why they say it, right? It just sounds right. It's like one of these things that sounds uh, true until you actually break it down, scientifically even. What would you say to the parent who's concerned about their kid binging and going crazy in college if they don't grow up with it? You're a perfect person to ask that.
6: <laughs> I guess I do have unique <laughs> expertise on this. I would say that, of course, there is. there's always a possibility. That a, a child will go bananas over the phone. And taking away smartphones for a long period of time is not necessarily a way to completely rid a child of bad habits or bad tendencies. The thing that you are given in the time that they don't have a smartphone is you are given an opportunity to teach discipline and train good habits for any use of screens. And that's that's really, I believe, the most important thing that you can do to ensure that when your child goes to college that they won't go crazy. Because just taking smartphones away isn't enough to ensure that they will be able to use it responsibly but you won't be able to ensure that they do use it responsibly unless you have the time to teach them how to be diligent with whatever screen that they use and taking away smartphones and teaching them how to use whatever screen they use with diligence and vigilance is the way to go about that
7: and here's what i didn't get I would say I'm working on my phone just like anybody else does. I'm working on my phone just like somebody who works on a computer. People who go to an office, they work on a computer 40 40 hours a week. So what's the difference? What's the difference? Here's the difference. Here's what I didn't know. You can't get addicted to Excel or charts Mm -hmm. or office or word programs. Those are not emotional apps Mm -hmm. or documents. You're not constantly thinking and getting emotional and liking and following and creating a relationship with an Excel document or a chart or a graph.
8: Mm
5: -hmm.
7: That's the difference. Right. So when you're on these social media apps and you're working them like a full time job and you set your phone down, you're still there. Like your mind is still there and it becomes to where every second throughout your day you're planning your next post you know you can't go to the soccer field and just enjoy being your kids you're like oh what position can i take a picture in to get the perfect shot and what caption can i you know it's about content what caption can i can i come up with to to get the most likes in right. this popularity contest, you know, to care what people think. Like, I want people to like this. You know, and we would tell our kids, oh, you don't care what people think. Don't. And, and then here we are yeah. constructing our entire mindset day around, you know, these posts. I mean, it got to that point, And when I was in it, I, could, I knew something was wrong. And I would even ask my husband, I'd go, do I need, should I keep doing this? Like, I'm always on my phone. Oh, and that's another thing that certain companies will say it's just they'll talk about the freedom from being away from an office and like there's time freedom and whatever you are always on your phone Mm -hmm. and that is not freedom
9: (laughs) here's a quote from another parent on the facebook group i believe if i don't give my high schooler access to a smartphone and social media they will stay in a bubble and not be prepared for the real world Do you feel like you live in a bubble or do you feel sheltered because you do not have social media?
8: I would say not at all. I mean, you go through a phase in middle school where you feel like you're missing out on stuff, but what you're missing out on is not what's important in life. I feel not having social media is you connect with people better. And that's really that's that's not living in a bubble when you're connecting with people and you're not just in a virtual world, making like virtual friends that you barely even know. That's that's how you just that's how you connect, and that's that's how you break out of your quote unquote bubble. And so, I don't uh, totally understand this whole sheltered idea. I think it's kind of a I think it's pretty much a big myth because I think that it's it has the opposite effect. Where putting your kids online and not causing them to have to meet to learn how to meet people and just have real ex, real life experiences with people that honestly i think is is doing the more of the sheltering and the bubbling in than not giving them a smartphone and social media because they'll connect more and they'll just be able to be more personable with people and that's how that's how that's how real life is and you're not always going to just be on social media your whole life you're going to have to go in for an interview with people you're going to have to be able to look them in the eye you're going to have to be able to just have these basic people skills that if without social media are just much more easy to obtain. And I think Andrew and I both have experienced that.
9: Like Evan mentioned, this whole idea of sheltering has kind of become a buzzword for a lot of parents and and a weapon for kids to use against their parents today. Um, and I think one thing, it's interesting if you just take a step back and you, you really think about what the word says, I think it's a shame that there's not as... I mean hold up for a second here, but I am really saying this. I think it's a shame that there's not as much sheltering as there should be. Obviously um, it's good for, for us to have real world experience without social media and things like that. Maybe I'm not saying this quite the way I mean to, but in a sense we've lost childhood and childhood has been annihilated as kids are now given access to endless resources including terrible content and really just toxic material online and really just unfulfilling relationships. And in a sense, childhood has been lost because there's a lack of sheltering. I mean, in, in reality, maybe sheltering is too strong of a word, but parents are supposed to protect their children. We're not ready to be thrown out into the world yet. And so I, I think sometimes the word sheltered is weaponized and used against parents Oh, oh, you're sheltering me or you're not letting me be myself. And it is necessary for parents not to um, be overbearing or um, extremely overprotective, of course. But I think there's also an aspect that often gets overlooked of just the fact that teens are still not adults. We are not ready for absolutely all of the evil and horrible things that the world can throw at us. That's an area that parents can step up in and that our parents definitely have is shielding in some ways shielding the excessive harmful content that can be accessed through technology. Yeah, that's kind of the flip side of that coin. Um I don't believe Evan and I are sheltered. I do believe we are protected though. That's really something we've benefited a lot from in the way we've been raised.
1: What other advice do you have for parents who are going to pull the plug and actually do a detox.
10: I I think you have to go hard. I think you need to not, I think you need to start off selling the devices. And I think you make it a family decision on what you're going to do with the money.
1: With the money. Yeah.
10: You know, is it a trampoline for your backyard? Is it a day trip somewhere? Figure it out as a family and have it be something that can really replace that screen time with something joyous,
1: because that's how your kids that's how your kids know that you are serious yes. too. They are going to buck and stomp over it, and they're going to whine, but honestly, they want to see that strength. They really want to see how strong. And you I are.
10: think, like having having a whether it's a five year old, a ten year old, or a teenager losing themselves and sitting there calmly with your arms outstretched, stretched to your child. Is the most powerful thing you can do. Let them let them lose it, and remain calm, and remain with your arms outstretched to them, because it is going to be hard. And I have no doubt that if we would have continued down our letting our kids get screens and iPhones and social media and letting the gaming kind of take over, it would have been teenage years would have been very ugly in our family, very ugly. My heart goes out to the families that are detoxing at that level. I have no doubt that it is much more challenging, but I would recommend taking the time off work, be there, be present, parent them like you would a younger child, as crazy as it may sound. Have things available, make yourself available to them and love them when they're going to be ugly because they probably will be.
1: But this is really good advice that you're giving. So everybody listen, listen to Laura. She knows what she's talking about. One of my daughter's coaches said years ago to me, she said, mom, you need to smile and you need to be happy. You do not need to get on your daughter's roller coaster. And so when you are going through hard times with your kids, they need you more than ever not to negotiate with them. They don't need you to get on their level and get all wound up in their drama. You need to do exactly what Laura just said. You reach out your arms, you embrace them, but you stay strong. And then you can call me if if you need to break down.
11: And I I would want to encourage other parents that are in this and feeling like it's just super overwhelming and it's hard to fight against the current of uh, society where everybody is doing social media and everybody is doing this. Your kids will eventually get it. Um, We've been doing this since my 14 year old was in the third grade. His uh, English teacher asked us uh, a few weeks ago, what, you know, did we have any suggestions on what books they should read? And I told him Fahrenheit 451. And if you don't know, it's a book about um, the future. It was written in the fifties about how everybody was watching TVs and they had these seashells in their ears that would talk in their ears while they went to sleep. And they basically became kind of zombified, Well, he had them read like a little short story of Ray Bradbury's called The Pedestrian. And it's the same thing, like everybody's watching TV and uh, they had the kids write a paper. This is what my 14-year-old son wrote. I'm just going to summarize it. I'm not going to give you the whole thing. But he said, at the rate we're going now, we will all end up addicted to technology, He says, people in this story use television to stay connected to the world, not personal interaction. They seem to accept what they're given and don't look for anything more in the story. I think what the author is trying to tell us is that the addiction to technology today is so strong that soon there won't be any hope left. It will just be a still, zombified, uninteresting world. He's been doing this since he was eight, and now he gets it. You know, even through the times where his brain was unplugged or the times where he asked for a smartphone for his birthday and for Christmas and then for his next birthday and then for the next Christmas and still didn't get one, he did get it. There is a bonus for all of our hard work. And, you know, nobody's going to do our job for us. We made these kids. We are parents now and we got to finish the job. We usually
0: end our episodes by asking our guests to give some final words of advice to our listeners. Here are just a few favorite words of wisdom from this year that we think deserve a second listen.
6: The situation that you are in, believe me, I know, is difficult. There's no guarantee that it will become much easier, but you have a unique opportunity To pour into the things that are really going to matter to you. Even after you get a smartphone. If you have a little bit of a short attention span, like I do, it means you now have the opportunity to try so many more new things than you would if you were spending your time on the ultimate distraction. Find what it is... That you really love to do, and pour your time, affection, energy into that. And once you get a smartphone, if you get a smartphone, you'll know what is more
8: important.
6: (sighs) Okay, don't have to cry on these things.
8: (laughs) Teary eyed. Can you share a tip to encourage the parents who are really struggling with screen conflict in their home? I would say be okay with the with the pushback and the friction um, that your kid is gonna have because middle school, especially in just high school, and we're we're all immature and we all don't know what's best for us. And so this plan to take away screens and to build real relationships with people, it's not easy. And it's just one of those aspects of life where it's just, you You got to do hard things to become, to become good at them. And just that, that friction and that, that insecurity inside the middle schooler, because, and they're, they're going to be angry. They're going to be indignant towards you. And it just, I, I guess the best advice to the parents is just uh, stick to your guns and just, just hold your ground, put your foot down, be the parent. You don't want to bend to the will of, especially not your children or even other parents around you. Cause there's, it's very, it's a lot easier to just Hang your kid an iPad and just be done with it. But I think the important thing with parenting is to be able to the, to put up with the difficult kid because they're not that I've done it, but I'm sure it's not easy to raise a parent. I know it what or to be a parent, not raise a parent. I know it wasn't easy to raise me, and it's still not. And so just to embrace that difficulty, embrace that tension, because ultimately that just builds stronger relationships.
9: Uh, that, that's my tip. What do you What do you have, Andrew? One just reminder and piece of encouragement for parents out there is feel free to play the parent card. One unfortunate aspect of cultural shifts that we've seen in in recent years is that there's been this odd reconfiguration of the family where now the children are placed on the top of the pedestal. um, And it's kind of the parents who are supposed to be available at every whim and fancy of the child to um, make sure they're perfectly comfortable and always happy. Um, And I think that has really, really just hurt my generation and those that are slightly younger than me. I think it's crucial for the health of the family and the developmental health of the the, the teenager, the child, to have loving yet firm parents. I think tough love is immensely valuable and it's often overlooked today. A lot, I think a lot of parents are scared to play that trump card because they think that, they're, oh, my kids will just think I'm domineering or my kids will um, become whatever renegade children or something like that. And a lot of times kids just want their parents to show them that they love them enough to put their foot down. True parental love is not constant validation. It's not constant acquiescence to every whim of, of a child. Sometimes it means putting your foot down saying, I'm the parent. I know what's best for you. Believe it or not, like I know more than you do as as the middle school or lower school or high school that you are. And one thing mom would always say to us that that was really I mean, we couldn't really reply to it was, well, when you're 18, when you're an adult and when you know what's best for you, then I'll let you make those decisions for yourself. And for the longest time, Evan and I just thought that those years were dragging on and, oh, just wait another seven years and we'll be able to get video games on the smartphone and do all these things on our own. And I think as time has, has unfolded and and continued, we've really come to realize that as regretfully at first, as we admitted it, mom was right all along. And I think that this is really something that families can benefit from and grow through so much. It's just by parents being parents, you know, just, just being willing to step up and love your child enough to say no. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my concluding thought. That was a little bit of a theme through a lot of the responses today as well. But um, I think that's very valuable, a very valuable takeaway.
10: If you have a feeling in your gut that screens are negatively affecting your family, and most likely they are, if screens are present in your home, you need to remove them and you need to free your children and give them the blessing of a childhood. And they will be okay. And you will be okay as their parent. And it is okay for your kid not to like you. It's okay for them to hate you for a period. Show them love and grace and empathy. And you can do this as a parent and you will be better for it. And your family will be better.
12: I mean, I'm going to reiterate, I really think it takes a village. So I think I know that if you reach out to any of your kids' friends, you're going to find some empathy and understanding in those parents. I I definitely Mm -hmm. want to encourage you build a network of support and that, that you're proactive versus reactive, because Mm -hmm. when you set a boundary or you put something in motion, you have to be strong and ready for the pushback and to weather that storm to get to the other side of it. So that's why when you're, Prepared and and you know what you're about to get into. You'll flip the switch on what your kids expect because they expect to push back hard and you to crumble. And you're not if you haven't prepared enough. It's easier to crumble if you don't have adequate support. It's easier to crumble. But you have to trust the science. Face to face activities, creative activities, physical activities, face to face friendships translate as more happiness for your kids, more happiness. And that's what everyone wants for their kids. So you have to trust it and just giving yourself permission to be the parents that you are, that you want the best for your kids. And that's what guides you.
13: Anything else you want to end? Today? Well, I'd love to end. If I could just read the last yep. paragraph that I wrote for my parents last year in yep. the little studio letter Absolutely. that I, had. I think this think this might be helpful. But okay. So I am reminded each year as I go to Suzuki Institute that Suzuki's goal was to create beautiful hearts through pursuing excellence in music. Our primary goal together is to create beautiful and noble hearts that are able to enjoy God's beautiful gift of music. This is indeed a gift, one that must be developed through diligence and hard work, but a gift that lasts a lifetime, one that opens the doors to rich beauty and that one that can draw us ever closer to our creator. Quoting Sarah McKenzie again, she writes that the true goal of education is to order a child's affections and teach him to love that which is lovely. The point then is to put the true, the good, and the beautiful ideas in front of our children and let them feast on them. Mm -hmm. Truth, goodness, and beauty, I hope that I may walk faithfully along with each of you as parents to show this to your children. This also gives you insight into my heart, that for me, this is so much more than simply teaching the violin. It is an attempt to open the eyes and ears of my students to a world of beauty, to a world of truth, to the world of goodness. I am praying that I will teach them diligently and well, and that I'll be thorough in explaining technique and all the nuts and bolts of excellent musicianship. But I pray that in the middle of that, we will not forget to give God the glory for this gift of music, and we will always seek that which is lovely.
1: Anna, what word of encouragement can you offer to a family who's listening today who is just almost at the end of their rope, like they're ready to throw the towel in? They're just saying, you know what, guys, you might have a really good course, but I think it's too late for me.
14: Well, and this is the thing I was saying to Melanie, (laughs) the most of the second Course, and definitely mental health section is we have a message of hope and we have got to put it in there. I I mean, brain science, amazing, all that, so cool. But what happens when you're the one that has to come home to that same pain? Well, you're not broken. Your child's not broken. You have, everyone has this limit where they find out what they're made of. And this is a perfect time for you to step forward and become that coach and learn new skills we haven't just arrived to where we know everything. We learn daily. And so you get that opportunity too. So don't look at your life as broken or ruined, or you've gone too far, or you're in a blended family, or you're having a co-parent with somebody who's not on the same page. You can start anywhere you want to start. You just have to take that first step. And I promise you, we will be there to link arms with you along the way.
0: From everyone on the ScreenStrong team, we wish you a very happy new year and look forward to seeing what 2023 brings to all of us. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong.